Hello and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. I'm Tom Reed, your moderator for this segment, and as always, joined by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. We've got a lot to get to, and we're going to have a special guest uh, later in the show, uh, Leah Hextall, uh, Ron Hextall's cousin. We're going to talk a little bit about family history. Uh, Give us maybe a little bit of a preview on the Frozen Four, which is coming to Pittsburgh this week. Uh, uh, anyone who watched that incredible game with Minnesota Duluth and uh, North Dakota, the five-overtime game, that was Leah on the call. She'll talk a little bit about uh, hockey up in Canada. So we've got a lot to get to, uh, but let's get to a little bit of news here. Uh, we're recording on a Monday, uh, and... Uh, Taylor, Brandon Tanup just got back in the lineup, uh, made an impact right away when he got back in, but it looks like he's going to be out for a little while. What, 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 can you tell, what can you tell us? Yeah, Sullivan said after Monday's practice that he's week to week with an upper body injury. I, mm. I looked back at um, you know, like his shift chart from the last – so Sullivan did say it happened in, the, in Saturday's game against the Bruins, and you look at like the shift chart and he – he only his first period. It was a little bit weird. He went like twelve minutes without a shift on the shifts he was taking in the in the first period. He yeah. averaged like twenty seconds, so it was short. But I mean, you look back at um, you know, like his last you know two uh, you know shifts, and nothing weird happened. Like I I looked back and like there's nothing that looks like oh like maybe that's it. So I I, I couldn't give you any insight on what it might be. But yeah, week to week with an upper body injury, which is uh not good. Dave. Uh, you know, he's been a pretty good player since he came, joined this team a couple years ago. But I, I would say that he is really, I don't want to say coming to his own because it's not like he's a big goal scorer, but he's hes really become an important part of this team, has he not? He has, and uh, losing him this way is, is a significant setback for them. I mean, you think after the last few seasons, they're probably accustomed to, uh, you know, significant losses to injury, but he's... You know, he's kind of an inspirational presence in, in their lineup with, with the way he plays. I, I think everybody gets a little more uh, jacked up when they when they watch him. Certainly they should with the, uh, you know, the energy and effort that he puts into his game. So, you know, this might not show up uh, on the score sheet the way losing a, a Malkin or a Kapanen uh, would. But it's, uh, you know, it's going to be another significant challenge for this team to try to overcome. Taylor, a little bit better injury news on uh, some updates here. It looks like uh, Tristan Jari is, if not close, I think he said 100%. He, he uh, listed himself. And and then also Teddy Bluger looks like it's going to be, you know, he spoke today kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's a game time decision for the for the Rangers game, but that's certainly, uh, certainly a, a little bit better injury news given the, the last month of parade of forwards being hurt. Yeah, yeah. Jari said he's he's a hundred percent, and they did send Max Legacy down from the taxi squad to Wilkes-Barre, so they only have the three goaltenders, including Jari, which is the minimum, which should tell you that he'll he'll be in the lineup um, next game. But yeah, Bluger's the big one there with all the forwards going down, especially with I mean Tanev going down now too. But um, yeah, we don't we don't know for sure if he'll be in the lineup, but it, but it sounds like he is. He's been uh, I think this was his third uh, full practice with the team. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that would that would be huge for for the bottom six to get him back with with Tanev out. I guess that that line's just never going to get back together though. The Aston Reese Blizzard Tanev line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been so good rotating. for them. 
majority of the yeah. season. Yeah. Dave, I, I want to touch, get back into Jari for one second here. Uh, if you're in Mike Sullivan's uh, position and we're getting, you know, we're getting down here to games, uh, I think 18 left in the season. As long as he's healthy, do you want to get him back to where he was before the injury as far as giving him a majority of games and getting him ready for the playoffs, I would assume? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he should get the majority of the games because, you know, he is the guy that they're going to rely on uh, in, in the playoffs. But, you know, Casey DeSmith has certainly played well oh, enough yeah. that, you know, if uh, Jari would turn out to need a little time to get his game back in order, which shouldn't necessarily be the case since he was just uh, – hurt last week it's not like he's coming off a month-long absence or anything like that but you know the smith does give them a a a pretty nice fallback position if for whatever reason uh jari doesn't perform the expectations right away taylor has the smith uh been if you had to pick a surprise performer of this season i mean it's weird to say that about even a backup gold or goaltender being in there in a conversation for that but how impressed have you been with him and uh, am I on the right track there uh, with with the way that he's played? Yeah, because I, I know, you know, one of the discussions coming into this season is, you know, like, oh, do the, because, you know, teams are moving towards a tandem kind of system more 1A, 1B in, in goaltending. Every, you know, coming into the season, everyone's like, well, the Penguins definitely don't have that. They have the Smith who was in Wilkes-Barre last year. But, no, he's been um, – Right, especially these past few weeks, he's been, I mean, outstanding, just, uh, with the, I guess, with the exception of that game against the Bruins. But, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, he's been he's been a, a very pleasant uh, surprise, and he's stepped up, um, you know, in these back-to-backs or just, you know, recently when, when, when Jari was hurt. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's been I, I, probably the biggest surprise this season. Dave, he's when you watch DeSmith play, one of the things that sometimes when you get backups in there, they can make saves – but it's there that you can tell the team is in scramble mode and they're not a hundred percent sure they want him to freeze the puck whenever possible. He looks like he's been doing this for 15 years when he gets in there. There doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to, he seems very calm, I guess is what I'm trying to get. Yeah. I mean, he's not a kid, you know, you're not talking about a, you know, a 20 year old who's, who's just getting his first exposure to pro hockey. He has, uh, been around the game for a while and I don't think uh, that game in Boston should be held against him because uh, his teammates especially in the second period really didn't do him any favors in that game um, of all of their uh, their failings in that game I don't think that Casey dismiss play is high on the list yeah we'll jump back in that topic in one second uh, the last thing on the injury front uh, Taylor, any news on Evgeny Malkin and Kasperi Kapanen? No, neither have uh, started skating yet as of as of Monday. They've just been continuing their uh, off-ice rehab, so uh, no no indication of when, when they might be back. Uh, Dave, you just alluded to it, so I'll come right back to you. Uh, you know, the Penguins, I think, five, six-game winning streak ended Saturday, 7-5 loss. To Boston, really, I don't want to say a desperate Boston team, but a team that uh, that needs to kind of get going again uh, to make sure ensure itself a playoff spot. But I'm wondering if a game like that, can you, from the coach's standpoint, can they look at that and say, "This is what happens to us. We don't have all of our talent in the lineup, and when we have a game like this where we are not 
on our game, where we're not uh, being disciplined, can they use that and say, this is, if you keep playing like this, these type of results are going to continue to happen. Let's get back to where we, where we were playing defensively before this. Yeah, although, I mean, it wasn't uh, like the entire 60 minutes was that way. Their, their issues really were confined largely to the second period. Uh, they had a pretty strong start, a, a good first 20 minutes, and they uh, they weren't bad in the third either. There was a, a an almost comical uh, sequence with uh, Mike Matheson that led to what turned out to be the, the game-winning goal. Um, but other than that, you know, they, they bounced back pretty nicely from, from their second period. But that, that second period uh, was just ghastly for them. And, it, you know, if Sullivan and his staff, you know, wanted to, uh, you know, point to examples of what can happen when, when they let up and don't pay attention to the defensive details of their game, um, you know, that that's what happens, and it certainly couldn't have been very pleasant for them. Uh, Taylor, jump in on that. You, you, do you think that's just a one-off period and they get back to, to where they uh, have been playing for seems like weeks now, or is it, or any, any, any concern for you? Yeah, yeah I think uh, Dave covered it and I, I wouldn't be too worried. Um, Cause I mean, we, we haven't seen them play like that or collapse like that in, in a while. Um, I, I think you have to look at like, again, who they're playing with, like a lot of like injuries. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I still think there were some good signs to take away from that game. Even in the second period, they, they had a power play goal against the Bruins PK, which is um, the number one, number one in the league. And uh, I mean, the number one PK in the league, um, they they're really well like suppressing shots and the Penguins did okay against that and then you know McCann's goal so um, I don't think it was um, I mean like I said there's some positives to take away from it but uh, I wouldn't be too worried just based off of that. One of the reasons the uh, these Penguins are certainly entrenched in a playoff spot right now and having a chance uh, to eventually could could eventually go top of the division they're they're four points. Out as we speak, everyone's on the same games. Uh, they're four points behind Washington. Is their ability to beat teams that have been behind them? They've also had some good success, obviously, against the Islanders. Uh, but they've they had a one hiccup, I think, against the Devils. Uh, perfect, I believe, against the Sabres. And that brings us to their opponent on Tuesday and Thursday night at Madison Square Garden, the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers have been better of late. Uh, but Dave, uh, they have still the Penguins have still beaten them five of six games. Uh, what do you look forward to, or what do you look for in these two games? You you will be in New York covering those games. Well, um, I'll be as interested in watching the Rangers as, as I am in the Penguins. Uh, they have some, you know, exceptional young talent on that team. Um, that. You know they're they're going to be a, quite a formidable group in a few years, and I think right now they're at the stage where you don't know exactly what you're going to get from from New York uh, on, on a night to night basis. You know they're they're coming off uh, one of the most impressive accomplishments in recent National Hockey League history. They lost a game to the Sabers, <laughs> which you know just can't be easy. Um, but you know when they're uh, when some of their talented guys get going, 
it can be uh, quite a challenge to try to stop them guys like, you know, Adam Fox and Artemi Panarin, uh, you know, among others. So, yeah, I, you know, we don't know exactly what we'll get from the Penguins with the lineup they're going to put out there. And, uh, you know, the same is true with, with the Rangers just because, you know, a different team for them uh, shows up uh, every other game. Yeah, they're the youngest team in the league, and they play like it. I mean, you're, Dave, you're right. They, they have some talent. They've had a lot of trouble, and we saw this early in the season against the Penguins, holding third-period leads. Uh, both games against Buffalo, they blew leads late in the game. Uh, one of them they were able to recover in overtime, and the other one they, they lost in a shootout. Taylor, I know you're focused a lot on, on uh, the Penguins, as you should be, but you've seen Adam Fox this year. I, I think he's, he's right among – the top defenseman in point uh, point getting. Uh, how important is it to try to neutralize him in these next couple games? Because he, uh, Panarin's the obvious marquee headline guy, and Zibanejad's playing better. But boy, Adam Fox has had a real nice season for them. Yeah, I mean he's been consistently good. But um, I mean back back to earlier. I mean the the Rangers that they're going to be playing now are very different from the Rangers they played earlier in the season. A lot of those guys like Zibanejad has really improved. Um, uh, Panarin's back, and then um, the two uh, Lafreniere and uh, Kako, they've really been improving too. They're after maybe like a rough start, slow start, but uh, yeah, Fox, he's been consistently good, so that'll be huge. But really, they have a, a couple of weapons to worry about now offensively. Yeah, well, we'll see again. Five and, and people one. might want to keep an eye on Keandre Miller as well. Oh, he, yeah, and terrific, yeah. terrific. Young. He's uh, he, he's somewhat overshadowed by Fox, perhaps, yeah. but he's he's a very promising young defenseman. I really like him a lot. Yeah, very. Yeah, he's a good player. All right, we've got a lot to get to. Uh, we'll be back here in a minute, and as promised, we will have Leah Hextall a bit later here on the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast on DK Sports Radio. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. All right, we get to our second segment, our little little hot stove segment, bat some issues around here. Um, you know, it, it looks at, at this point, um, you know, I, I guess if the, if the Penguins finish first in the division, as we said, they're four points out, uh, there's a number of teams they could play, but right now it is, is looking like it will either be the Islanders or Washington. And again, Boston's in there of that group, Taylor, of those three potential teams, is there one you would want to avoid in a first round matchup? I'd I'd be leading towards the Capitals. I mean, they have been, I think, the hottest of, of those teams that you mentioned, the possibilities um, as of late. And, I mean, the they've matched up against the, the Caps in the in the playoffs before, um, and that's always a, a tough series. I mean, the Penguins have come out on top more often than not. But um, going back to what was it, 2018, uh, I mean, a lot of those guys are still around, and and Ovechkin, he's been heat, heating up too. And uh, I just, I just want to avoid uh, like the offensive weapons they have. But the Islanders, and what happened, uh, what was that, 2019, when they got swept, and how good they are defensively, um, and how just strong they were at shutting the Penguins down. That wouldn't be a, a a great matchup either, I think, for the Penguins. Dave, 
Oh, the only team that I, I want to see them avoid, and it's strictly uh, for my purposes, is New Jersey, because I wouldn't <laughs> want to sit through a best of seven between them and the Devils. So, we, we will have a heck of a story here if, if the <laughs> Devils are, are, are the first round matchup, and there will there'll probably be uh, <laughs> thoughts of collusion by some teams uh, that allowed them to get in. We could bleed from the eyes if we had to watch that for seven games. So I think I think they have a four game set coming up with the Rangers. They would have to almost sweep them to even. I mean, they're not they're not completely out of it, but they're they're back there pretty far. And you also wonder at the trade deadline what what they'll be doing. Um, is there is any of those teams again the 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 Penguins know these teams like the back of their hand. They have not necessarily played well in Boston. I think they got their first win, was it Thursday night uh, in, in since 2014, uh, and then obviously lost again on Saturday. As far as you're concerned, Dave, whoever they get, they get? Pretty much. I mean, there, there are so many variables that, that come into play. Um, obviously, they, they haven't traditionally played well in Boston uh, for much of their history, actually. But, you know, things like injuries, I think, are going to have a, a lot more of an impact on on how teams fare in the playoffs than, uh, you know, history or, or even on paper matchups. You know, the, the Bruins have an awful lot of shortcomings. They have a, a terrific first line, you know, arguably the, the best in hockey. But, you know, the three of us have combined for nearly as many goals uh, this season as, as the rest of the Bruins have. You know, they have no secondary scoring. So they're, you know, they're hardly invincible. And, and even the, the thinking in Boston now is that uh, management there would be deluding itself into thinking that it's a legitimate Stanley Cup contender uh, as the trade deadline approaches. So... You know, there's really not any team that, that I think that if the Penguins are reasonably healthy and playing to their potential, that they wouldn't uh, stand a, a reasonable chance of beating. Yeah, I agree. From a neutral standpoint, I, I think a lot of people, uh, certainly the ne- networks, would love Washington and Pittsburgh. Just it, it is like an opera. It is just like one of those Italian operas with the – Man, there's so many heels and heroes, depending on what side of the fence you are on, on that group. I think it would make for a great series. But I, I agree with you guys. I think it, that they are pretty much – they can. I think the Penguins can handle the, themselves in any of those series. I do understand Taylor's point of view. and uh, But, I, man, from a neutral standpoint, uh, Washington-Pittsburgh, again, um, would be something. Now, if the Penguins – Dave, you can help me on this, both of you guys. Have the Penguins won a cup where they have not had to go through Washington at some point? No. no. So all, all, all five cups they've had to play. I mean, what an amazing series of games, series over the years those two teams have played. Uh, it's, it's been terrific theater over the years, and I can't imagine it would be anything less if those two teams would meet again. Uh, we have we started a new segment on uh, on the DK's Pittsburgh Sports site last couple of weeks called Talking Points. Uh, Dave, you wrote about uh, uh, Frederick Rideau, uh today. I know Taylor has been singing his praises ever since he's been in the lineup. 
Uh, and your 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 point today was uh, should the Penguins re-sign him? I mean, he's he's played pretty well. It look, looks like he's fit right in. And you kind of occasionally need guys like that to kind of come out of almost nowhere and, and help a team down the stretch. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your story and, and your thoughts on on what the f- management should do with him. Well, I, I, I don't think that he was uh, particularly on the major league radar uh, going into this season. He's on a uh, two-way contract, which pays – you know, a reduced salary at the American League level. And when he's in the uh, NHL, he's being paid the league minimum. Um, but, you know, when all of the injuries that the Penguins have had up front lately uh, opened a spot, created an opportunity for him. And he's really taken advantage of it. He's, uh, you know, it's a small sample size and that, you know, that's an important thing to keep in mind. But so far, he has filled in really effectively. You can use him at center. You can use him on the wing. Um, he's a good penalty killer. He has enough skill that you can stick him on your uh, second power play unit if need be. Uh, he, he, you know, he's he's been a pretty versatile, valuable guy for them. Uh, you know, at this point, I would certainly, if I'm uh, the front office be inclined to at least explore the possibility of re-signing him, uh, see what it might uh, take in terms of uh, term and and money. Uh, you know, there's there's a risk involved uh, again because of the small sample size. But you're not dealing with a young guy here. He's 27, 28 years old. Um, at this point of his career, he is what he is and what you can expect him to continue to be for a few more years. So I certainly think it's it's something worth it, uh, exploring for Ron Hextall. Taylor? Yeah, for sure. And I don't think uh, he would command much money regardless. He's always been around the league minimum salary at the NHL level. Um, obviously, this season, a whole lot more production and just like a bigger role than, than he's ever had at the NHL level. So, um I, he should command a, a slight raise, but yeah, I, I think they should resign him. Uh, looking at the comments of Dave's story, I saw a couple of people concerned about um, uh, the expansion draft and what that, if that would have a role here. And it, it really doesn't um, because if you leave him as a pending unrestricted free agent, if Seattle wants him, they could take him regardless um, if he's, if he's signed or not. And either way, I don't think he would be the guy they claimed when, no. uh, I mean, we, we've, we've talked about it before where, um, you know, like the Smith is probably me left unprotected uh, cause you can only protect one goalie and they, they're going to leave some forwards who are unprotected, who are better than Gaudreau, probably, um, you know, one of one or two of McCann, Zucker, Tanev, Bluger. Yeah. Asbury. So like, like Goudreau's not going to be taken in the expansion draft. So that's yeah, no, 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 no uh, offense to, to Goudreau, but <laughs> I think, I think front office would be delighted if uh, uh, Ron Francis grabbed him. Dave, is there any, is there any chance a guy like this and we, and we've seen these type of players around the league. Uh, if he continues to play well, is, do you see if, if this, if he does go to market that there would be, there would be some kind of, uh, some kind of market for him. Another team saw his, what he can do and how he could help them. Uh, could, could, could he attract offers? Do you think he would attract offers around the league? If he were to continue playing the way he has, you know, 
so far with the Penguins. Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't think he's going to, uh, you know, command one of those seven-year contracts oh, no. to the league maximum. Right. Um, but I could see somebody offering him, you know, up to a million dollars per season if he uh, if he finishes the season the way he has played uh, to this point. He can be a valuable role player. There, yeah. There's no question. You know, based on what he's done so far. Uh, you know, I, it's always possible that the bottom will fall out for him, but there doesn't seem to be much about his game that, that suggests that that uh, should be a real concern with him. Yeah, I, I love stories like this. I love guys that come up middle of the year, late in the year, and help out a team. And uh, he certainly, the Penguins have had to have been delighted from what they've been able to get from him. All right, as we record one week out uh, from April 12th, Trade deadline day. We we this we we seem to bounce around this uh, talk about this ever at least once a week, and uh, for good reason because fans are going to be excited to see if they make any moves. Taylor, you're in the you're in the front office chair right now. Uh, are you staying, Pat? Or if you not staying, Pat, what would you want to see them add, knowing that they're probably not going to make any kind of blockbuster deals? Yeah, I I think, you know, earlier we we were talking about, you know, like weeks ago about, you know, upgrading uh, the bottom six and maybe adding a center there. But we, I mean, we just talked about Goudreau. I don't think right. um, that's necessarily need right now. Uh, I mean, they have talked about, you know, Hextall and Burke about maybe getting more physical, but that's maybe more of a long-term thing. Um, but I think if they were to do that now, it would, it would just be on defense just because, like we said, I, I don't know if you had a Ford, who you would take out at this point. Right. Um, so I don't know if you could maybe uh, I've talked to, we've mentioned a couple, a lot now, but like Pedersen, probably the most expendable guy on, on defense just because uh, he's left-handed. Um, if you can maybe move him out for a guy that fits more of that, that mold that Hex Stallenberg are looking for a more physical defenseman. Um, that's what I would be leaning towards right now. Uh, but again, if they don't do anything, uh, I also wouldn't be that surprised either, I guess. With Dave, with with the with the Predators all of a sudden back in the race, I am assuming Matthias Ekholm is off the market, and not that they were not that they were in the market for a player of that caliber. But one guy who who may jump up and maybe actually out of the Penguins as far as what they're willing to give up, but a player I think that would be a nice fit here for a couple of weeks is David Savard from the Blue Jackets, a shot blocker rugged around the front of the net, uh, had a really nice uh, stretch run with Ian Cole one year. But I, I think you have been, when we talk about this, you have been uh, the person that has said you'd like to maybe add some, maybe a little bit more grit on the back line. Where are you one week out? Uh, still pretty much the same. I, I, I mean, I think that the injury situation, which we about which we know very little because the penguins don't say much about them but i think that will have a major impact on how aggressively uh hextall moves between now and and the deadline uh you know the penguins have shown they can keep their heads above water um to this point uh while missing guys like kapanen and malkin so i don't think he should make any major sacrifices of the the few assets that he has right 
uh, you know, to try to bring in a uh, some more offense, even though he has uh, suggested that he would like to do that. Um, I, I don't think it would uh, hurt them to bring in some some muscle on the blue line. Um, I, you know, a guy that I intrigues me is Eric Goodbranson from sure. uh, Ottawa, who had previously played for the Penguins. Yeah. Uh, you know, and certainly the Senators uh, figure to be sellers between now and the deadline. As far as uh, David Savard, I, you know, I wonder if uh, Yarmo Kikalainen would be interested in, in trading to help a team that's normally in his division. You know, there's a, a decent rivalry in the making between the, the Blue Jackets and Penguins. I don't know if that would uh, influence his thinking at all or if he would be just mostly concerned with, you know, if the Penguins would make an offer that was superior to one that he got from any other team, you know, that it, he would feel it's in the best interest of the Blue Jackets to accept it, you know, regardless of where it was coming from. Yeah, I, my guess on just that part of it is he would. Now, my, my, again, my thought is that they're not the Blue Jackets aren't going to make the playoffs unless they really get on a streak here. They're they're I think five points out, and they there's teams behind them. They're, they're as, as close to last place now as they are to fourth. And I I see a serious I don't know if a serious rebuild, but certainly a retooling there. And if they're not trading term, it's not like Savard will be there for two seasons. Uh, he's a guy that, again, uh, that intrigues me much as the way good Branson intrigues you. And in, in, in the sense that he would be give, getting a player again, similar to Cole, maybe not, he's, he's not very quick, but I, I, I kind of lean with, with you, Dave, in the sense that even you guys know this, if you guys make, if, if a team makes a deep playoff push in invariably, you're going to, you're going to need backup players or even seven or eight defensemen to get you through. How confident are you guys of if someone gets hurt in this group, the, the, the current six that they have, and I think they are all healthy, correct? How, how confident are you of putting someone else in that lineup uh, that might have to play two or three series? Uh, Taylor? I mean, uh, Mark Friedman is a guy who's coming back from injury. Um, and the, I mean, we only saw him for two games uh, before he got hurt, but he he looked really good in those two games, and uh, I really liked his attitude. Uh, kind of a feisty player. Uh, so I mean, if if he and he can play either side too. So I mean, if they do have a defenseman go down, um, I mean, they do have him in the wings. They have Ricola and, and Ruidel too, but um, they do have a guy who would come up and and Friedman and and then you know Joseph in the minors too. But uh, Friedman, uh, I think he'd be a lot of fun to watch in a playoff series, but. Uh, I mean, there are definitely better options out there on the on the fridge on the on the trade market too. Dave, same su- subject as far as uh, what is your comfort level uh, beyond the six that are in the lineup right now? I, you know, I don't think there's a a great necessity for for a move there. Um, I do think they have ten NHL caliber defensemen in the organization. And in theory, you know, that, that should be enough to, to get you through, even though I believe they've already used 12 defensemen this year and had by about the third day of the season. <laughs> uh, but nor- normally, you know, if you have 10, 
you're in, you're in decent shape. And so it, it, you know, I'll, unless you see that as the place where you could add some, some muscle to your lineup, I, I don't see uh, any particular urgency to make a move on, on defense. So you're more of, if you're, if you're, you're, you're bringing someone in, not necessarily as a depth guy, but somebody that would immediately go into your top six or may probably bottom pair. Yeah. And who could, wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have to, but if you're bringing a guy in to serve a specific purpose, you know, i.e. to add toughness, um, you know, he's not going to do it in street clothes. So, right. you know, you, you've got to be prepared to, uh, to play him. And if, if he's not capable of, uh, filling a role in your top six, even if it's on the bottom pairing, then you probably shouldn't be going to the trouble of, of acquiring him. If yeah. the Flyers do end up making the, the playoffs, uh, I would want Friedman for, a ser- for that series because they seem to have some <laughs> kind of vendetta against them for uh, letting him go. I don't know if you saw what he did, like an interview with the Pittsburgh Jewish Chronicle where he talked about like how dirty the city of Philadelphia is. And, yeah, um, that was some he, interview. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would love to have him uh, in the lineup just to see what he would do in a series against Philadelphia because he, he has some beef, but uh, they might not even be there. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> the, Flyers, the Flyers would just love to at least be in that position, which I, I don't think they will be. But, again, there's still time. There's 18, 18 17, 18 games left for these teams. Uh, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Boston and Philly are – getting ready for uh, some games here coming up. So Philadelphia is obviously in, in must win. Those would almost be must wins. I would think right now, or certainly not getting swept in that series. Anyway, uh, good stuff. We will be back here shortly on the 66 to 87 podcast uh, with Leah Hextall. Uh, again, uh, cousin of Ron Hextall, but also working in the business herself as a broadcaster and uh, she'll talk a little bit about the final four, the frozen four that's coming up here in Pittsburgh and a bunch of other topics. So please stay with us on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports Radio. And right now we are delighted to be joined uh, by Leah Hextall, uh, a member of the of the proud Hextall family. And she is in hockey just like everybody else. I uh, hope you guys had a chance to hear her terrific call. Uh, boy, it seems like it probably just seems like the game just ended, Leah. Uh, but the five overtime game that you called on ESPN with uh, – with North Dakota and Minnesota Duluth. We're going to get into all that uh, in a second. But what is it like growing up in one of the most famous families uh, in Canada as far as hockey is concerned? Well, let's just say you got to have your gloves up, first of all, right (laughs) there, you know, first and foremost. No, um, you know, it has been actually, it's been wonderful. I mean, hockey, when I say hockey is family, I truly mean that. It's part of our, you know, bloodlines. It started with my grandfather, Brian Hextall, who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame and scored the cup-winning goal for the New York Rangers back in 1940 and led the league in scoring for multiple years. And from there, my Uncle Brian, who is Ron's dad, played. My Uncle Denny played as well, who was a member of, uh, you speak of University of North Dakota, 
Dakota. He played for them as an alumnus as well and was the first player to become an NHLer from that university. And then, of course, Ron, who is very familiar now to the Pittsburgh area, not only because of his playing days, but now he's, you know, flip sides, as they say, and he's the general <laughs> manager. So, you know, there's so many, you know, when you talk about it, it's three generations within the National Hockey League. And I'm very proud of our family's history in it. But we come from a tenacious group. We, uh, <laughs> we're not afraid to speak our minds. We have big personalities, but at the same time, we're a really supportive group of one another. And I've really enjoyed being a Hextall my whole life. Yeah, Leah. Uh, now, for, for for our listeners who also hopefully are our readers, when we profiled Ron uh, when he first got the job, I, I, I spoke with Leah, and Leah, you were still a pretty uh, a young person at the time when when Ron was playing. But of course, Ron, Ron had, was kind of one of these. Uh, you either loved him or you you didn't love him. And what was it like growing up? And when you would hear comments maybe that weren't so nice about Ron, you were. Uh, you weren't afraid to, to speak up and, and defend the family. Well, Tom, you're right on. Ron's rookie season, when he came up, unfortunately, when they lost Pelly Lindbergh in the car crash, so he was called up and he was behind Chico Resch and in his rookie season with Philly, you know, managed to take over the crease. And I was only eight years of age. I was in grade three at the time. And that was the year that he had his great rookie season run. And they went to the Stanley Cup final against Gretzky's dynasty Edmonton Oilers and went to that seventh game where he won the Conn Smythe, but unfortunately didn't capture the cup. But you know, when he first came on the scene, everybody really loved him because he was something that nobody had ever seen before, right? He was tenacious. He came out of his crease. He fought. He had penalty minutes. He scored goals. It was unlike anything anyone had seen in net. But then as the years went on and as I got older and he got the reputation that he did within the game, not just for being a strong goaltender, but for all of those other attributes that I just mentioned, you would have people who I think just to get under my skin would say things to me about my cousin Ron. And I'm Unfortunately, I am a hex doll, so it does not take much to get under my skin because that is something that is true to our nature. So, you know, it wasn't always fun in the playground, I'll tell you that. And there was a few times, especially when I got into high school later in his career, he was against Detroit um, in the Stanley Cup final, and they ended up getting swept, and it was Ron's uh, later years, and I remember a buddy of mine and a good friend of mine who just kept digging at me, and we were in math class, and I, I almost went over the table at him, because I think <laughs> what people have to remember is that in our family, we live by blood is thicker than water. So the fact is Ron and I have a large age gap between us, but he's always been someone that's important to me as all my family members are. And if, if you're going to go at them, you're going to have other people coming the other way at you. One, one, of, one of my favorite parts, uh, it, it's at Leah Hextall on Twitter. And, and one of my favorite little, you know, obviously anyone can write what they want kind of as their biography. And your last line on here, I think sums up the family great. May snap at a moment's notice, but it's in the <laughs> genes. So uh, th uh, that's fantastic. Dave? Oh, uh, yeah. Leah, just uh, I think you might have sh shattered a, an illusion for some of us here when, when you say the blood's thicker than water. Does, does that mean your uncles, uh, Brian and Dennis, never dropped the gloves during the summer at a family cookout or anything? <laughs> 
You know, I'm going to be they careful work. what I say here because Ron <laughs> works in Pittsburgh. But, um, you know, he would, if you asked him, he'd probably be the first to tell you that we sat around as kids at our grandparents' house in Poplar Point, which is a very, very small town where everywhere the whole family grew up. Uh, my dad, Ron's dad, my Uncle Denny. And to say that the boys didn't get at it in the yard a few times would I definitely be lying. They had a few tete a tetes, as they say. Um, I've, you know, I've seen a couple of, uh, friendly meetings between my uncles in my life uh, and my father. But, you know, at the end of the day, that was the thing. It's boys will be boys, right? It's just like almost, you know, when teammates get in a fight, you fight, it's done, you move on. And that's about it. Yeah, it's reassuring uh, for those of <laughs> us who, who watched uh, Brian and Dennis play. Um, obviously, working in Canada, your focus is primarily on the, on the North Division. But have you been able to pay much attention to Pittsburgh this season? And if so, what what are your impressions of the Penguins? Well, Dave, I have to tell you, you know, and, and I hope I don't get shot here, but I think people would understand that, you know, I grew up a Flyers fan. And there's a reason for that, obviously, because Ron played. So um, Pittsburgh was a team that I kind of had a little bit of negativity towards in my childhood <laughs> because of such the fierce rivalry. But ever since Ron was hired, and, and quite frankly, ever since Sidney Crosby was drafted by the team, you can't ignore Pittsburgh. I mean, you look at what they've done. So they're always on the radar. And when I look at Pittsburgh this season, I mean, you know, they're right in the hunt right now, four points back of Washington for top spot in their division. They're getting it done. Their goaltender I feel have been quite good and I believe I saw that Tristan Jari's coming back so off the injuries so that's great um, but you know I think once they get their injuries and Malkin you know I, I'm not quite sure where his situation is you guys would know more than I but once they get a few of these players back I think that they have the ability where you can never count Pittsburgh out and it all starts with that leadership group and with the Sidney Crosby's the Chris Letang's the Evgeny Malkin's because they have so much leadership and so much knowledge about what it takes to win and then they also have the skill set on top of that and you know you've had some players really step up like Jerry McCann been really really nice to see his development and what he's done um, but you know we'll see what happens and what I'm really interested in is what happens at the deadline that is fast approaching only one week away and will this be an interesting deadline or will it be very quiet depending on on what happens here in the next week, um, considering that we're in a flat cap, considering that nobody wants to take on salary, considering that we're in a world of COVID-19 and all the owners are taking a bath. But I have a feeling that uh, we'll wait and see what Pittsburgh does because I heard Brian Burke mention that they're looking for a center. So we'll have to wait and see. Oh, Leah, you're, I'm sure Darren Drager and Bob McKenzie are worried that you're going to break, break a trade on <laughs> on Monday with your connections. But, no. <laughs> but, I'm the last person who would know Tom. That, that's oh, the yeah, part about yeah. it. You know, one of the things that's obviously, I mean, there's so much unique about this season, of course. Um, but it, but one part of it is that, that we really don't see the other divisions right now. Everyone's, uh, Dave and Taylor Haas, our, our, our two Penguins writers, are focused just on the East Division. And you see the same five or six teams all the time. But Boy, Canada seems like they're having all the fun. There are some great games. You tune in late at night and watch some of these games. From a Canadian standpoint, from a someone who loves hockey and has gotten to see these teams play and just there's been some wild games, how much fun has it been to watch this division play out this season? I've really enjoyed it, Tom, and it was one of those things that some people didn't know about it entering the season, but the North Division up here has engaged the Canadian audience in a way that I don't think they've been engaged with Canadian teams 
in a very long time because it's all we're seeing. It's a steady diet of nothing but Canadian teams because they're, you know, all within that North division. But um, for those who haven't seen it, uh, get ready for Toronto. Toronto is the real deal this year. They look very good. Campbell has come in and taken that net over and started to own it. You look at what Austin Matthews is doing, his goal production, even Mitch Marner, and you know the list goes on and on, the talent they have. It just feels like they finally put it all together. Um, but that's why I'm in the Winnipeg market, and mm, I cover the yep. Jets. And, you know, this is a Winnipeg Jets club, too, that, you know, has gone in and, and managed to hold their own against Toronto and, and done so well against them this season. And then, you know, Connor McDavid's just heads and tails above everyone else in the league. It's um, I, I'm sure you guys probably miss seeing him down there. He is such a phenomenal player. And, and what Edmonton is able to do, him and Leon Dreisaitl as well, you know, the reigning Hart Trophy winner. It's just there's a lot of talent going on here. And the one thing that's hard, Tom and Dave, is that, Yes, you see what they're doing within the North Division, and it's fun having divisional games every night because it's a four-point swing every night, so teams can really make up traction if they get hot really quickly. But it's kind of wondering, well, how do they fare, though, against the Tampa Bays of the world? You know, how do they fare against everyone else? And that's what we're not going to find out until we get to the Final Four, which would be the Conference Finals, which is now I don't know what they're going to call it because it's the Final Four, really. Um, yeah. So I'm really interested to see. Yes, I understand how they're faring against each other. These teams look really good. But it's hard to tell where they really stand within the league because it's all divisional action, which can be said for all the divisions. But that I'm really looking forward to when we get to that point in the playoffs where we can really gauge how good teams truly are. Uh, again, it's been a lot of fun uh, to kind of, again, to, to follow along. And, and, and again, I, I enjoy watching the 9 or 10 o'clock games after the games here in the East are over. And there's there's always good action. But one uh, this is we are living in a in, in an age of COVID in a, in a pandemic, and it certainly ha, uh, struck the Vancouver Canucks in a big time way. Kind of some scary s stories coming out of Vancouver. Give us an idea of what's going on and what you've heard the latest is with the Canucks. Yes. So as we're taping this, Tom, from what we know, 16 of the 22 active players on the Vancouver Canucks roster are on the NHL COVID-19 protocol list. So as we know, though, that doesn't necessarily mean that these players have COVID, right? They don't have to right. have COVID to be on the protocol list, but they've been exposed to it. So one way or another, they've been around it. So. First of all, too, we've been told that the Brazilian variant has been in cases as well. Jace Howerlick, who already had COVID before, has apparently contracted it again. So, you know, this is really a learning experience, not just for the Vancouver Canucks, but I just think for society, really. But what it is, is just a dart to the heart of everybody that we're not through this. The NHL has been quite successful this year, in my opinion, of handling the COVID-19 situation. But with what's going on, with the Canucks situation, very similar to Dallas at the beginning of the year, you, you're going to assume that it's going to affect and touch whether actually having the virus or being exposed to it. Every single player within the organization, including coaches and trainers, they're all going to have been exposed to it at one point or another, which means they all have to go on the list, which means that if you have it, it's 10 days. If you've been exposed to it, it's 14. So you're looking at a multi-week layoff right now for the Vancouver Canucks. So yeah. for instance, the Winnipeg Jets had their game postponed against Vancouver this week. And because they were going to play Ottawa on Thursday, the NHL very smartly was proactive and took a game they were going to play against Ottawa in May and brought it back and they'll play tonight to try to make up for what they're going to have to do when they have to restructure the schedule to get the Canucks going again. It's going to be really interesting because I think this gentleman brings us back to the point of what happens in playoffs and what about that bubble? Because if we get to playoffs and something like this happens, 
and it runs through a team. We can't postpone the playoffs for two to three weeks. It, it takes away the integrity of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I know the players don't want the bubble. I know the league doesn't want the bubble because it's so expensive. But this just brings it right back up to the forefront again of what if this happens and how do we make sure everyone's safe? You know, especially considering to the US Canadian border, that thing's not opening yet. So once the North division plays itself out in the first two rounds and we get to that third round in June, what happens then? Cause the North team's gonna have to play a US team. And if that border's still closed, what are we doing? So this COVID-19 situation with the Canucks, I think have brought up a lot of questions to the NHL and that bubble that was really far down on their list. I think it's been elevated a little bit. Yeah. Aaliyah, you've been, you've, been, you've, you've, uh, obviously we, 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 uh, laid out the, the family history of, of hockey players. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, you were part of the, you were part of that, not on the ice, but in the broadcast booth, what kind of got you into, why did you want to be, get into broadcasting? And certainly, uh, you've done a nice job, uh, getting your foot in the door, e- even at the NHL level, part of the first all women's broadcast team on Sportsnet, I believe it was last season with the Calgary and Golden Knights. But how did you, uh, where did the interest come from from you? Well, as you two gentlemen can see, I talk a lot. So there's that first of all. Uh, Second of all to that is I grew up playing sports my whole life. And it's one of, you know, my best friends from my sports. I come from an athletic family. It's just always been around. So I really just married the two loves. I've always enjoyed public speaking and doing drama. And then I put my athletics together. And there you go. I decided to go into sports broadcasting. I've been doing it for about 18 years. And most of the time it was as a host and reporter and you know, went up and started in a very small station in my hometown and worked my way up, got a job at Nesson in Boston at one point, worked for them, and then got the call to come work for Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada when they received the rights here. And, and that was fantastic. Um, you know, it was the dream really to hold the Hockey Night in Canada mic as a host and reporter. But unfortunately, layoffs occurred as they do in this business. And I was one of them. And after that, I decided to make a decision. And and I really wanted to sink my teeth into trying to do play-by-play. And I really didn't know if I was going to be able to do it or not. And I started out. And Sportsnet was great. I had a good relationship with them, started calling the women's game. And as you mentioned, Tom, um, you know, called some women's games. And then ESPN gave me the opportunity to call the NCAA tournament in 2019. I became the first woman to do that. And then my NHL game calling Vancouver and Calgary and the first woman on a national broadcast to do that in the NHL with Sportsnet last March. And, and uh, you know, it's been it's been a lot of work. Play by play is no joke. And I'm not as good as I need to be. And I'm still working at it. And I work at it as hard as I can every day. And I'm just waiting for that full time opportunity to hopefully one day present itself so that I can continue on. But, you know, this is this is a love of the game. You know, the game is the star. I love being in the rink. When I went and called the NCAA just recently, the Fargo Regional, it was my first time in a rink in a year, and I almost wanted to cry just hearing the puck hit the boards, smelling the ice again, seeing fans in the stand there. It was such a beautiful experience just to be back. And, uh, you know, even watching the Zamboni just go around the ice was cathartic. So it's just almost in me. I love the game so much. I think it's the most wonderful sport on earth. Um, You know, golf's a close second, but I suck at it, and it causes me grief all the time but I still love it but that's really how I got into it and uh, and that's where boats I am in my career right now uh we'll get we'll get you uh, get the question to everyone probably wants to hear about uh, the five overtime even one second but in in your in your run-up in your preparation for your NHL game uh, one of the things I thought was interesting is you you 
you reached out. You reached out. And if you're going to reach out to somebody, you're going to go for the gold standard here in the United mm -hmm. States. And you reached out to Mike Emmerich, correct? And what yeah. was that like? You know, when I decided I wanted to pivot into play by play, I'm a big believer in mentors. And as you just said, when I go for something, I go for it big. And I actually connected with Keith Jones, who I have a, a, is a contact of mine and part of my network. And he was kind enough to connect me with Doc. And about a day after I asked, Doc was on the phone with me. And he spoke with me for about 20 minutes. We didn't talk about hockey at all. And at the end of the conversation, he said, I can tell just by the way you speak, Leah, that you can do this. And he told me to get into a rink, go to a junior game, anywhere I could, and just start calling because that's what he did to try to learn how to do it when he first started. So when Doc talks, you listen. And I did exactly that. I went to Manitoba Moose Games in the American League and I stood in the stands and recorded into my phone me just calling the game, trying to get reps early on before I ever did it. And I have just followed his lead and he looks at my material. He sends me feedback. He sent me a note before my NHL game. He sent me a note before my NCAA game. He lit a candle for me before my NHL game to give me clarity and peace and rest. Uh, I couldn't ask for a better person. And also, as you guys know, he is the gold standard. So um, I am a very lucky girl to have someone like that in my corner. Yeah, Leah, one of the fascinations with overtime games a lot of times is uh, the stories kind of after that emerge after the games. How, how do those players get through it? Uh, Dave has covered some. Uh, I think Dave, you you did cover the the Philadelphia Pittsburgh game that went five overtimes or four or five overtimes, correct? Yes, I did, and why four overtime uh, Pittsburgh and Washington in 1996. I was there with you on that one too. That was the game where I believe in some of the great gamesmanship of all time, the at some point, the Capitals would no longer allow the Penguins to use the dryers. <laughs> so they kept going out in, in wet clothes, wet, wet underclothes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I'm wondering from a broadcaster's standpoint, where with Dave and I, when we write something that we don't like, there's this little delete button that you can hit. Mm -hmm. You're on live TV. What is it like going through a five-overtime game, uh, the, like the game you called uh, recently? Well, I would have loved a delete button for the UND and Minnesota Duluth game uh, for a couple moments. But, you know, it gets to the point where I don't want to compare anything I'm doing to what the players are doing on the ice. But just as we speak about the players getting mentally fatigued and that's where mistakes are made, that's the same thing for me as a broadcaster is that, you know, the things that become instinctual, just like the players on the ice, you know, the, the next play they have to do, where's the puck going? They know it just happens instinctually. That was the same with me. Their numbers, their names, describing the play still came to me easily. But it was all the other things, the filler, the throwing to breaks, just introductions, remembering, you know, even who scored back in the third period, because we're getting to the eighth period of hockey. And I'm like, okay, who tied this up again? Because we had to keep reintroducing the game because people were joining us as it went on and was in progress and it was building steam. But I'm just so honestly, I just... I'm so thrilled that I was a part of it. I mean, there's a very small group of people who have called five overtimes and I get to be one of them very early in my play-by-play -play career. And I was just concentrating on just making sure that I was had good energy, that I was being excited for the fans at home, that the game continued to be the star. I was there just to identify the players, what they were doing, give people some facts, because that game had enough drama around it that it didn't need me adding to it. So I just took it as it came. but. 
I tell you, the heels came off in the third <laughs> time. I was chugging about a bottle of water a period. So I was running back and forth to the bathroom in the intermissions, um, you know, but it, it was so nice. And I, I'm so happy that we had fans only 25%, but those fans made a difference. It made a difference to have that feeling in the building. I can't imagine calling that without fans in there. So I'm so thankful for that. But what a game they gave us. And I, I'm just so thrilled that ESPN gave me the ability to be a part of it. And uh, I wish Minnesota Duluth nothing but the best as they head to Pittsburgh this weekend for the Frozen Four. Well, and Leah, you, you mentioned uh, that Frozen Four, you're probably not going to have a five overtime game, <laughs> most likely. But uh, what do you expect to, to see in, in the tournament at uh, PPG Paints Arena? Well, I think the fans there are in for, and I believe there will be some fans. Am I mistaken, guys? Or I, uh, Pennsylvania law does does allow it. The Penguins yes, have actually I, had fans for a while now. Great. Okay, fantastic. Because I heard that there'd be some fans there. So I think what they can expect is, first of all, this Minnesota Duluth team is looking for their third straight national title. You know, 2020 doesn't count because they didn't play, and they're back-to-back -back champions. They have a senior class right now that has known nothing but winning at the NCAA tournament. They've never lost a game because they came in as freshmen and all they do is win national championships. This is an experienced group by Scott Sandlin. So I expect them to be in there and make some noise, but you know, they're going up against UMass, the, you know, the hockey East champions, and they're just such a strong team too. But um, you know, St. Cloud state is so great. And I'm actually in Mankato, Minnesota right now. So Mav country here. Uh, so with Minnesota state who has some experience as well and is looking to shake the monkey off their back and win a national title. So I just think you have four hockey programs that have a lot of history in them, very strong teams that have all battled adversity this season because every team has faced it because of COVID-19. And I think that this is going to be a phenomenal Frozen Four. I think we're in for some really close contests and there's not going to be some blowouts and uh, it's going to be a battle to be crowned the national champion. Well, good stuff. Uh, I'm delighted to have you on uh, uh... Great, great stuff. And I, I think you, if the only mistake you have made was uh, wearing the wrong pair of shoes to the game, you've got a, a bright career ahead of you. Uh, Leah Hextall, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, and that will be it for us on the 66 to 87 podcast for Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. This is Tom Reed, and we'll be back with you next week on Trade Deadline Day. Talk to you then. <laughs>